0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CSEP podcast, episode four. My name is Lauren Jenkinson, and I'll be your host as we discuss mentorship in the field of exercise science over this first series of episodes. Today, I'm feeling very grateful to have not just one, but two academic superstars with me. Western University professor Dr. Michelle Matola and one of her postgraduate students, Tanya Nagpal. Dr. Matola studies exercise and pregnancy in her lab at Western, and Tanya completed both her master's and her PhD under Dr. Matola's supervision. Tanya has now moved on to the University of Ottawa to complete her postdoctoral research, so both of them called in to chat with me today. Tanya and Michelle are both CSET members and will be providing some perspective on the mentoring relationship between a graduate student and their supervisor, one that I think most people can agree would be very important in terms of the success of their research. So, regardless of whether you're interested in pursuing higher education yourself or if you're already working in the field, I think their insights are relevant to anyone seeking some support in achieving their career goals. I hope you enjoy my conversation with them. So, today I have with me and Michelle Matola, both previously from Western University studying pregnancy and exercise. But Tanya, I understand that you have recently moved on to Ottawa for your postdoc. So that's exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your journey leaning here and what got you interested in uh, what you're studying? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um so I just recently finished my PhD and I was supervised by Dr. Michelle Matola at Western. Um, and I started my postdoc at the university of Ottawa just this past month. Um, and what got me interested is I always thought pregnancy was the coolest time ever. Um, but I wasn't really certain exactly what I wanted to be when I grow up. So when I finished my bachelor's in health studies, um, I was interested in potentially doing some research and Dr. Matola had the exercise in, or has the exercise and pregnancy lab at Western, um, And I thought that might be a good fit with a health studies background and being interested in pregnancy. And so um, I reached out Mm -hmm. to her for a master's and fell in love with the research and there was just no turning back.
0: And that's how I got to where I am now. That's awesome. And what school did you do your undergrad in? Because you said it was a health sciences. I was also at
1: Western. So I was in um, the health studies program. And then when I started grad school, I switched to kinesiology.
0: You know, that's a nice that's a nice glowing introduction to Michelle as a supervisor. Um, And I said you didn't (laughs) she didn't bribe you to say that, not at all, so not not at all. (laughs) love that yeah so michelle um, uh, you you are obviously working in the same field studying the same thing which would be pregnancy and exercise but but have been for longer um so what drew you to that path and how did you get there from you know your journey from undergrad upward
2: so i i had a, a different path than tanya and so i mm-hmm. my undergraduate in uh, kinesiology because uh, i always had an interest in mm-hmm. in exercise and so i um did my undergrad at western and then i moved out west to the mm-hmm. university of alberta and i did my master's in exercise physiology and then i kind of switched totally and um got accepted into a program a phd program in anatomy and cell biology in medicine mm-hmm. and so um my supervisor it was an embryologist and with an interest Mm -hmm. in exercise and so that was basically where i started so my training actually as a phd person is actually in embryology so i'm an embryologist by trade but that's kind of the roundabout way of how i got interested in exercise
0: (laughs) right right yeah a little bit of a a segue in terms of kind of where you started and where you ended but i suppose it worked out Awesome. So, so Tanya, for you, you, you know, you did your undergrad at Western and then you started your master's with Dr. Matola, and then you ended up doing your PhD with her as well, correct?
1: Yes. So I uh, fast tracked from the master's into the PhD program. Um,
0: Okay. Okay. So do you, I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to as, you know, your experience compared to maybe somebody who might um, switch, you know, when they're doing different parts of their degree, they might go to different institutions and work with different people. Um, you know, what might, what did you find to be the benefits of kind of the consistency of staying with Western? And do you know anybody who had a good experience with kind of switching where they were at?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, well, my reasoning for staying at Western was solely because of the exercise and pregnancy lab. Um, that's mm-hmm. where the lab was. And so, um <laughs> staying at western was not necessarily simple was not because you know i thought it's better to stay at the university instead of switching it was solely because where i wanted to pursue my graduate education was at western and the lab um is at western um right. and then like i mentioned when i when i started my masters um coming into it i really did come into it with the idea that i'm going to be doing a masters um but the project mm-hmm. i just really loved it and kind of went right through it and um, it was about, I think, the first summer of my master's, so nine or nine months into my master's, uh, which is funny because it's pregnancy research. Um, I, um, Just although that. pregnancy is 40 weeks, not nine months. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> um, so I had finished my what I proposed to do for my master's, and then I asked my supervisor, Michelle, you know, what should I do next? And she said that, you know, you could write your master's thesis up or there's the opportunity to fast track. And so the rationale behind staying at Western was then the fast track opportunity, getting to stay at the lab um, and do more research and answer more questions that I had. Um, But I definitely have heard of students who had really positive experiences switching labs and going to other universities. Um, But again, I think Mm -hmm. the reason to switch um, should be because the research you want to do, perhaps another institution or another lab would be a better fit. Um, And so I don't think you can be incorrect for staying or for going to another institution as long as you're kind of going to a space that best fits your research interests with a good mentor that can support you
0: right yeah and and i think that you you know the mentorship is hugely important and obviously um, you and michelle had got along well as she was able to coach you into doing the fast track so michelle do you have any comments on that in terms of kind of sticking with one um, route versus versus switching your location?
2: um again i think tanya's right that it depends on uh the lab that you you want to focus on um one of the things that you you know could do is switch to another lab to learn a new technique for example um but but with our field it's very small so there's not a lot of us that are um involved in exercise and pregnancy so it it worked out well i think for tanya to stay where she was and And also um, she ended up fast tracking and only special students are allowed (laughs) to do that. Um, She fit fit the bill very nicely. And so um, when Tanya went into the Ph.D. program, um, she actually went into it with uh, actually two supervisors. So um, Harry Papavisus and I uh, chatted about uh, Tanya's progress and we we put it forward to her that, um, you know, would you be interested in actually having two of us. As her supervisors, mm-hmm. so so that kind of opened another mm-hmm. door for Tanya, um, with right. you know, with kind of um, not only myself but also another uh, faculty member that um, we mm-hmm. could we could um, assist her in in helping her with uh, moving forward into the PhD program. Right, right, and I
0: think you know, as someone who's not experienced in you know the masters into PhD segue at all, it sounds like that's a kind of interesting or unique um mentorship strategy to bring somebody else in so that she can benefit from both of your expertise i think that's brilliant
2: yeah i think i think it's important because um that way i think one of the the things for success in grad school is to open up as many doors as you can and um Mm -hmm. and i think that's really an important part of it so um, hopefully mm-hmm. that were, I think it worked well for Tanya. I mean, we can let, let her talk about that. But I think <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'll let her talk about that one. But but I do think that you know, it's possible to provide um, mentorship in two separate fields. I think that is bonus mm-hmm. for the student.
0: Mm-hmm. And so. You know, you kind of you pointed out the fact that Tanya was sort of a um, a good candidate to do the fast track. So, when you're thinking about any prospective students that might meet, reach out to you looking for supervision, um, what type of approach from a student makes you interested in supervising them for a thesis? Like, what are the qualities of a good grad student that you would kind of pick up on and think this is somebody that I want to have working in my
2: lab? Good question. I, I think uh, a lot of it is face to face. So there you know, students mm-hmm. definitely email you and, you know, ask, are interested in your field. Um, but I think those students that they may look good on paper. But um, sometimes when they mm-hmm. actually come in and meet you and uh, get involved uh, with, you know, what you've been doing and that kind of thing, I think uh, putting a face to name is really important and i think Mm -hmm. one of the things that struck Mm -hmm. me about tanya was her enthusiasm she um she was (laughs) extremely enthusiastic about about the uh about Mm -hmm. my research and what was going on in the lab and uh, and she also did her homework so she um looked looked me up um the papers papers that I had published at the time and and um, you know she came in Mm -hmm. to speak to me with um, answer asking very uh, appropriate questions interesting questions and just very enthusiastic about the field and so yeah she she hooked me.
0: (laughs) 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 Seems like it's worked well for both of you. (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounds like, you know, you kind of brought up two things, which is one sort of do your homework and be enthusiastic about why you want to work with somebody in the first place. And then also, you know, not necessarily um, underestimating the power of of actual in-person conversations. So so that's awesome. And then from Tanya, from your perspective, obviously, you said you you know, you looked into Dr. Matola's research beforehand. but still, without the putting the face to the name, what kind of were important things for you to look for when you were seeking out the professor that you wanted to supervise you? Yeah,
1: um, I think I don't, I don't think I really had the traditional path that a lot of students have going into <laughs> a master's, to be honest. Um, I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can answer that in two parts. So one thing I would have told my undergrad self um, probably would have been to maybe yes. if you have the opportunity to do a fourth year thesis, uh, definitely go for it if you can. Um, even volunteering mm-hmm. in some labs to get a taste of research or what happens in that lab that would be very beneficial mm-hmm. um i personally didn't mm-hmm. didn't have that experience and so going into my master's um i always say this to michelle that i have no idea how i mm-hmm. convinced her to accept me but i'm glad i did yeah. um <laughs> sounds like I enthusiasm <laughs> um, but I, I to be honest I really <laughs> went into my master's um with the idea that i if Michelle accepts me, that I will just work really hard. And that's kind of um, mm-hmm. what I put forward. And then in terms of what I was looking mm-hmm. for was hopefully a supervisor that could help me work hard and um, and support my enthusiasm, I guess. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm.
1: Michelle was, was very kind and she, she understood that I didn't come from a kin background and um, she was still able right. to support me in making a transition into her lab. Um, and then the decision to kind of go from my masters to phd with her was um i was really happy under her supervision and under her mentorship um and she was always very encouraging of and is always very encouraging of opening as many doors as i could um she you know, saw that I kind of came at my research from more of a behavioral perspective and that helped me bring in my co-supervisor, mm-hmm. which was Harry Harry Propabesis. Um so I think when mm-hmm. students are kind of looking for a lab that fits, you all you want to make sure that the supervisor is someone that you feel you could work with. Um, you could even mm-hmm. Ask students that are currently in the lab um, about their experience Mm -hmm. and see if perhaps Mm -hmm. you would be a good fit in that lab. Is that an environment that you could see yourself for the next two, four or even six years um, to do the work that you hope to do?
0: Right. Yeah, I think you make a great point that you know, that's almost a way it's it's almost like the the glass door uh, website for employers, right, you're asking somebody who's already doing the work that you're potentially mm-hmm. going to do. And then you can pick their brain and see if it sounds like a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then so I was going to ask you, Tanya, kind of what you did to position yourself to be a good mm-hmm. candidate. Um, it, you know, you you sort of answered that by saying that, you know, you did your research for sure. And then you just coming from a bit of a different perspective, Kind of worked really hard on that um and and i think that hard work sort of shows and i think it sounds like michelle would have felt the same way about that because she kept <laughs> <it> around <That's laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so michelle if we were to um talk about not tanya and talk about maybe some students who may have approached you in the past and kind of went about it in the wrong way have you ever Sort of either given feedback to prospective students or just you know based on someone's approach thought right away this is not going to be a good fit like what would that look like the kind of what not to do is for prospective students
2: I think I think a student that kind of comes into a face to face interview blind and not really knowing yeah. um, you know the kind of work that you do or uh, not mm-hmm. doing their homework um, mm-hmm. that that type of student. Um, because then then what mm. that shows the potential supervisor is that that student is not self-motivated and not a hard worker. Right. Um, and yeah. so, you know, that kind of thing, you probably don't want to portray that. So, you know, going in, <laughs> um, you know, with a good interview, would you know, would be a, mm. a really important thing to, you know, do your homework and that mm. kind of thing. So the opposite of that. I think would be, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of get a a bad vibe with a student that kind of comes in and Mm -hmm. um, hasn't read the papers or, you know, if you can tell that they're not really self motivated and they they want you to spoon feed them kind of deal. And that's exactly what happens sometimes with undergrads um and Mm -hmm. you know and so so i i very much want to portray critical thinking and so sometimes with um Mm -hmm. with an interview with a with a student you can you can tell um i think if they're a critical Mm -hmm. thinker and and so those are Mm -hmm. the kinds of traits that you would want to portray from an with an interview and so uh, the opposite side of that in answer to your question would be uh, that would be something not to do is to you know like I say come in blind and not really have think about what it is that you're going to be talking to your potential supervisor about
0: right right yeah same idea as if you were to go into a job interview and have no idea what the company's all about you gotta (laughs) it's a it's a two-way it's a two-way street for sure (laughs) um yeah yeah so so, Nichelle, you've been recognized for a number of different awards related to excellence in teaching. Um, so I'm curious, you know, because as someone who supervises grad students, you're not just a teacher, but you're definitely a mentor in a huge way. Um, what are you always keeping top of mind and striving to do in order to make a great experience for your students?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I think uh, facilitating uh, the students' education um to me i think is a big big part of this so um thinking about facilitating would mean you know helping the student to think critically because that's very important when it comes to research um and get them to come to the correct answer by getting them to figure it out for themselves because then they will remember better um, right right yeah you, know, you know so i think i think um those those are definitely um top on my list is is being a
0: facilitator okay yeah and tanya is there anything that you found well i'm sure there are a few things but what would you say about working with michelle that was really beneficial for you um
1: yeah a lot of things so um (laughs) she she's always very encouraging um for us to pursue our own ideas which is something i i love Mm and she um she, like she said earlier, she's about opening doors. And that's the first piece of advice mm-hmm. she ever gave me when I actually started my grad, uh, grad mm-hmm. graduate education with her was, um, I asked her, you know, like, what do I do in my master's? And she said, open as many <laughs> doors as you can. And she really facilitates and encourages right. you to do that. Um, and also, mm-hmm. I think she, um, I've I've been her TA as well, so I've seen how she is in the classroom with undergraduate students too, and she really tries to mm-hmm, come up with mm-hmm. um, different ways for uh, different learning approaches. So um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. her classes include both discussion and also independent learning. Mm-hmm. There's your traditional sort of exam piece in there, but then there's also a lot of opportunities for you know oral presentations or critical thinking opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of uh, is applicable to different learning styles and different uh, students could thrive in, in that kind of a setting. Um, so I think, I also think she, she's, she knows how to tailor the approach depending on the student. So she kind of meets you where you're at and then helps you achieve the goals that you want
0: to achieve. Always a good trait. <laughs> Always a good trait. Today's PDC code word is posterior. As in the posterior chain was engaged while doing the exercise. Use the word posterior to claim your professional development credits on your portal. So, Tanya, when you were thinking about entering grad school, like transitioning from your undergrad into your into your um, master's program and then further into uh, your your PhD, was there anything that surprised you about grad school? um and in particular were there were there pleasant surprise or were there some things that you wish you had known you did already mention that you wish you had done a bit of research in your fourth year to maybe get prepared for it is there anything else that was a little bit of a surprise or a shock to the system yeah
1: i think a lot of students will say that um when you go into your masters you're really surprised with how much freedom you have um so, I, I think,
0: <laughs> for better or for worse,
1: yeah, and like actually, that because I think you kind of have this impression that well, you know, masters is after undergrad, therefore it's going to be harder. Um, and but mm-hmm. I, it's not necessarily, I don't know, I think it is more challenging, but it's different. So, up until undergrad, right. all the way from kindergarten until undergrad, you've had a structure, you know, you have this many classes mm-hmm. and you have exams and you have. Um, you kind of know what comes next you go from first year to second year Mm -hmm. and so on and then you come to your master's and especially in a research-based master's and all of a sudden you have much less class responsibility um Mm -hmm. there aren't Mm -hmm. necessarily the structured assignments and so a lot Mm -hmm. of students will kind of uh, and I've heard this many times and I felt it too it almost all of a sudden feels like you have so much free time um (laughs) Right. <laughs> but I think that's where the independence piece comes in. And what are you going to do with that mm-hmm. um, um, freedom? Mm-hmm. So I think um, for some mm-hmm. students, it's a great place to be. For me personally, I loved grad school much more than undergrad. It felt more of my environment, mm-hmm. um, the opportunity to ask your own research questions and get involved with more things and just kind of have a more of a uh, a structure that you've created and, you, and working in your lab. I mm-hmm. loved that. But I think it can sometimes be challenging where you all of a sudden are asked to be independent and think of um, how to how to make the most of that freedom that you've gotten and and
0: create
1: research and questions and knowledge. So um, I think that might be a surprise to students.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it it challenges you to find different sources of accountability. Mm, Yeah. in the sense that you aren't going to be, you know, you aren't going to be studying for a midterm or you don't have a quiz coming up, but obviously you still need to put in work before the paper is due. Mm-hmm. So that's a different structure for yeah. sure. Yeah, and you kind of um, provided a nice segue because I wanted to also ask you, when it comes to, um, you know, being independent in your research, I think there's probably a little bit of a challenge sometimes, uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, to find a balance between, being independent in your research but also collaborating with your supervisor and you know hitting that sweet spot of being involved with them but not potentially being you know annoying constantly asking all these questions how do you find that sweet spot
1: um, well i admit to knocking on michelle's door a lot
0: <laughs> um, well i think that's the point too um, <laughs> <that's
1: the problem. laughs> um I think especially earlier on when you just start your research, you you really are, um, Mm -hmm. your supervisor is your mentor guiding you through. And I think a good supervisor Mm -hmm. who is also a good mentor teaches you um, how to become independent as well. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from watching Michelle do what she does best and learning from her and how Um, how to best go about learning how to network, how to collaborate with other researchers. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think another thing that I learned from her supervision is learning how to ask questions. And the more I kind of dove into my research, the more curious I became, and I understood better and better how to ask questions. And I'm still learning how to do that. Um, and I think it's, it's all, it's Mm -hmm. like a never ending tunnel. Once you have a question, you'll have a million (laughs) more. So, um. And then as I kind of progressed through grad school, I learned um, more how to be independent. So I think having a good mentor, they'll teach you how to become Mm -hmm. an
0: independent researcher. Right, right. Michelle, are you you glowing with pride right now listening to her? (laughs) (laughs) That's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. And I think, you know, you commented sort of a couple times about network. Um, And when I think network, you know, I think about exercise professionals clinically, and then from your side, there's the there's the academic side too. So, you know, inside the walls of Western, you've got different people in your faculty who might be closely physically accessible. Um, would you say for either of you that your the CSEP certification played a role in being able to, as you said, sort of open other doors? Whoever wants to take it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Tanya. Okay. Um. So I I'm not certified by CSEP, but I've been a student member with CSEP right. um all the way through grad right. school. Yeah. Um, and as well, I chair mm-hmm. their student committee. Um, this past year. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, definitely mm-hmm. being involved with CSEP has opened doors. Um. And and mm-hmm. my involvement with CSEP came from again following Michelle's involvement with CSEP. She's been involved with them for many years. Mm-hmm. Um. And then mm-hmm. um. I definitely think it was an opportunity to meet so many other Canadians uh, in exercise physiology Mm -hmm. research, both faculty Mm -hmm. and also other students. Um, And that's been great. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to meet a lot of people that way. Um, I also had a unique opportunity to be involved with the Canadian Physical Activity Guidelines throughout pregnancy. Um, And CSEP, of course, had a big role in that. And some of the, or all of the leading faculty involved in that are also a part of the CSEP community. So it really does open doors in terms of meeting other Canadian researchers.
0: Awesome. And how about from your perspective, Michelle?
2: Um, Totally agree. Um, I've been involved with CSEP for a long, long time um, and was involved Mm -hmm. uh, with the original um, uh, guidelines for physical activity during pregnancy. So um, it Mm -hmm. it has been uh, great to see how that has developed over the years and um, of course it was mm-hmm. wonderful having uh tanya involved um, and again mm-hmm. uh, trying to open up as many doors as possible for her and so she she was definitely mm-hmm. uh she offered her services and i shamelessly <laughs> took advantage of them <laughs> um, because we did need a lot of help um, as we were going through um, developing the guidelines and so uh, Tanya actually right. was a representative of the fitness professionals um, mm-hmm. and so as we we went through and we met as a group. Um, so so I think in that respect um, I, I hope that Tanya learned a lot just from going through the whole process of uh, coming to the Canadian guidelines. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I think I think um, it's always nice to take a student under your wing and and um, expose them to a lot of the um, things that can go on with research and also with Mm -hmm. um, pursuing guidelines and that kind of thing. So I think it was um, hopefully it was a good experience for Tanya. It really was. Oh, good.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I understand that there's a uh, updated information on physical activity through pregnancy in the new CPSA path, um, second edition manual. I believe it was just released. Yeah. Today's PDC code word is mountains as in let's go for a hike in the mountains. Use the word mountains to claim your professional development credits on your portal. Yeah. So, so knowing that you both have such a passion for uh, exercise in pregnancy. I'm curious, if you were not involved in this industry field of study career, um, what might you be pursuing instead? Michelle, we can start with you.
2: Ah, good question. Um, I, I really <laughs> like the the research side and the critical thinking side of research. So mm-hmm. if I wasn't involved mm-hmm. in what I was doing, I probably would be an engineer um Hmm. yeah and and i say that because um engineers are always thinking critically um they they ask questions (laughs) and they have to answer those particular questions so Mm -hmm. um i I don't know i just i was just um when when my kids were small i took them to um they're both girls and so i took them into uh, engineering Mm -hmm. for girls Um, you know, in the, in the faculty, they had an open house and I loved it. My kids were really in care, but I thought it was wonderful. Um, they (laughs) they went about, um, answering questions and, um, then more questions came about and to me, that's all about research. So if I wasn't involved in what I was doing, I probably would go into being an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: Love that. And you you mentioned that, uh, you know, critical thinking is something that you you clearly place high value on. So I imagine that you probably think critically about um, your mentorship of students. And I'm wondering if you um, if you had ever in your time uh, sort of an aha moment or something that was, you know, really revolutionary that you learned from
2: being a mentor. Um, I think I, that's a very interesting question. I think it's a difficult one to answer um because each mm-hmm. student is so different and and so right. you you always take a chance with a new student um, that you bring yes. into your yes. lab um, so mm-hmm. for me it's kind of a gut feeling i know that doesn't really give you much to go on um, but i do think that um that that face-to-face interview is really vital mm-hmm. and and just from right. chatting with the student uh like a potential new student you you kind of get mm-hmm. a feel for uh, you know whether they're a hard worker whether they are have the potential to think critically um, those, mm-hmm. those kinds of things so so those are kind of what i kind of look for and for me the aha moment is right. yeah okay i'm i'm ready to take a chance on that student
0: right okay so if you had just theoretically speaking because i'm curious if you had uh, Tanya 2.0, you know so interested, so interested in uh, exercise and pregnancy, but they lived in the Yukon and so they wanted to you know potentially work in your lab but didn't necessarily you know want to fly all the way to Ontario before things were confirmed. Do you think you could get the same feel from you know uh, you know a Skype or a Zoom call or something like that? Have you ever done that with students? and do you feel like that's um, enough or does it really have to be in person face
2: to face? I have not tried that, um, but I think, <laughs> I think that that might be um, a good way, sort of a second way mm-hmm. that you might be able to uh, talk with the student. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, technology nowadays is, is wonderful, um, and so I think that might be a really good way to test the waters, if you will. Um, you, you know, the students certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to, you know, have a tour of the lab or talk to other students at the moment, mm-hmm. but certainly that that comes back to that face-to-face uh interview and yeah. chatting and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's a great idea, either Zoom or Skype if the student is from far away yeah. and can't actually be there physically. But I think that would be a, a, mm-hmm. another way to do it for sure.
0: Right, an option. Okay. So if there's any firecrackers out there that are, you know, eager to work with a specific prof or in a specific place, um, you know, they they can not be turned off just by distance alone so that's good to know (laughs) and um yeah um
2: and i and i think that's an important thing to mention to potential students that um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know again the face-to-face and so you know so say um over email if you can't physically go to see the lab certainly you can skype with your potential professor and chat over skype Um, and then even chat over skype with with some of the other students in the lab as well i think that's right
0: right Okay, yeah, coming back to sort of Tanya's point of, of getting their perspective on their opinion or on their, um, their experience, I should say. Yes. Awesome. Well, so I so appreciate both of you uh, taking the time to chat with me tonight. Um, and in sort of a, you know, an optimistic way of closing this out, um, my last question for you is wondering if you had unlimited budget resources, you could do you know uh, a project of any cost and scale what's something that you would do that you really feel would help improve the health of all Canadians and in your case maybe it's maybe it's mostly the pregnant Canadians um (laughs) but but tell me is there anything that you you feel would be so beneficial um I'll start and then Michelle can take it from there yeah Um, so Yeah,
1: we're definitely a little biased with the pregnancy piece, but um, hear us out (laughs) for it. Um, So I think we Uh would definitely want to uh, implement sort of mandatory lifestyle, healthy lifestyle support for all pregnant women. Um, And supporting Mm -hmm. pregnant women doesn't necessarily, as you said, it does benefit the pregnant woman, but it also benefits the next generation. Um, And there's also Mm -hmm. a lot of research to show that it's not just the immediate next generation, but it can go beyond that. Um, from both a physiological point, but also from a behavioral point, and we could support families mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, right. so I'll let Michelle take it from there.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. Gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> okay. um,
2: and I think um, just to take that maybe one step further, I think we need a huge change in our healthcare system. Um, and I yes. think the approach that we should be taking is is to be multidisciplinary um Mm -hmm. for example you know um focusing on prevention i think is is vital and um you know as as tanya mentioned um one as an embryologist uh, the developmental origins of health and disease are a big uh, Mm -hmm. factor right now so if we can Mm -hmm. prevent disease occurring right during pregnancy Mm -hmm. then there definitely is that downstream effect where we might be able to prevent mm-hmm. um, childhood obesity or diabetes occurring early mm-hmm. and that kind of thing so uh with a multi mm-hmm. approach we you know we should have not just the physicians alone but we should have um mm-hmm. people involved in healthcare like dietitians exercise professionals mm-hmm. and um like right. lifestyle coaches psychiatrists um, you know mental yes. health is also yeah. very important and um and For i sure. think if we were to radically change our healthcare system in that regard and focus on prevention mm-hmm. and prevention of mm-hmm. disease early, um, then I, I think mm-hmm. you know we we would have a, a huge I think Canada would be uh, leading the way um, of for generations mm-hmm. definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well I mean um, personally speaking, you're peach into the choir as uh, someone who's involved in cardiac rehab, which is secondary prevention after something's already happened. I was able to dip my toe just a little bit into some primary prevention research. And one of the uh, referral criteria for our participants in that research was women who had had a previous pregnancy where they experienced either gestational diabetes or preeclampsia. And so, you know, the idea yeah, the idea was to bring them in and have this multidisciplinary approach you're talking about, where there was um behavior change focused on not just exercise, although that was a big part, but also on stress reduction, also on healthy eating, um, moderate intake of alcohol. So I think those types of research, if they could become funded in a more long term way, would be totally beneficial for sure. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all in support of this one if we can make it happen if, we if anyone wins the lottery <laughs> we just have to find the that's awesome board, right? okay exactly well I told you I told you to dream big so um unfortunately you know as as a guest on the podcast I don't get to actually give you that money but if we somehow come into it we'll have ideas with what to do <laughs> that sounds great. Amazing. Well, thank you ladies so much. Um, just before I let you go, is there anything else that you, you feel like I should have asked, but I didn't, or any kind of last words of wisdom to people out there who are seeking mentors or going to become mentors themselves? Now's your shot to just let it, let it know. Um, We covered everything. (laughs) um,
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think you asked, lots of great questions. And I guess for any students who are um, curious about, you know, should I do a master's or should I go from a Mm -hmm. master's to a PhD? I think that um, Mm -hmm. you hopefully, especially if you're going from a master's to a PhD, you're doing it because you're passionate about the topic and you really want to learn more. Mm -hmm. And then um, finding Mm -hmm. a supervisor and mentor that can really help you pursue those questions and that growth would be incredible in a PhD. Mm -hmm. And then for undergrads, um, a master's is a good opportunity to see if research is something that um, is a good fit for you. And then for supervisors, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when you have that undergrad student who's just giving research a shot and just giving master's a shot, the supervisor plays such a big role Mm -hmm. in whether or not they're going to take that further, because a good mentor could really inspire Mm -hmm. you to pursue more in that area. Um, So I hope supervisors know how much Students really count on them for that piece. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Anything to add there, Michelle?
2: Um, I think the other the other potential thing is is that um, not every student is cut out for research, and and so I think mm-hmm. um, if if there is a possibility to taste it as a fourth year undergraduate student, either volunteering in a lab like Tanya suggested, or um, actually doing a fourth year thesis, that way. Mm-hmm. you you would be able to see if you like research. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it may not just be the supervisor, but mm-hmm. it, it is, has mm-hmm. to come from within. Um, mm-hmm. The student really has to be passionate about research and really get bitten by the research bug. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and the best way to test that I think is is in fourth year to either volunteer in a research lab or mm-hmm. to actually do a fourth year thesis
0: yeah yeah and when i when i hear you saying this i i think of a quote that my dad used to uh my dad used to say which was everything is useful if only as a bad example so you know yeah. To yeah. your point, I think it's it's nice to test things when the stakes are a little bit lower and yeah. in fourth year, you know, you can take it as one of your courses and if it's really not your thing, you're not locked yeah. in. So I think that's yeah. that's a very wise piece yeah. of advice. That,
1: I mean, if you like, for example, someone mm-hmm. like myself who didn't get a chance to do a fourth year thesis, even at the master's level, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's mm-hmm. not mandatory to do a Ph.D afterwards. So you might be able to use your master's as a chance to explore research. And, um, and, you know, you can't go wrong. So if you did a master's, and you decide, you know, uh, this was great, but research isn't for me, you still got a master's, you still gained Mm -hmm. a lot of experience. Um, So I think students should also be aware of that, that if you especially if you didn't get a chance to do a fourth year thesis, and you still do a master's, um, you you know, you might Mm -hmm. still Realized that, you know, this was good. I got a master's (laughs) and I don't want to do the PhD. It's definitely not a requirement.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both um, so much. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and sharing your experience. I'm sure it's definitely going to help somebody out there. So thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time. Thank
2: you you very much. Thank you.
0: for listening to my interview today with dr tanya nagpal of the university of ottawa and dr michelle Matola of western university if you enjoyed the interview today please subscribe to our podcast and rate it using whatever streaming service you are listening on you might even consider sharing this podcast with friends or connecting with us on social media or by email if you have ideas for future episodes contact links are in the show notes for each episode thanks again for listening and we will see you next time